Man, yes, it is. Well, hey, I see we have a special guest in the house. I see Samson. Samson, can you come up here? I, I need that microphone, Pat. I think we need to interview this guy because if somebody, you don't know who this guy is, he's our, our kids' pastor training. If you saw him, I went, who in the world did they live in that church? So, a few times. So, Samson, what are some things that God told you not to do? Uh, I can't cut my hair. You got to hold the mic a little oh, closer. There you go. I can't cut my hair. You can't cut your hair? No. Can you let anybody else cut your hair? No. Oh. No. That's so, where my strength comes so, from. Oh, your strength comes from your hair. Yeah, I'm like super buff. Uh, you are. I don't you are. go to the gym. Uh, yeah. I read about you. I mean, oh. do you like, like kill a bunch of bad guys and, you know, the, the yep. try to get you first, but you got them? And, yep. So, to be exact. So, what, my, a couple things. Stay away from women that want to cut your hair. Yes. Okay. Yes. You got to watch some women because I think there's a Delilah in the house. Very possible. So... <laughs> So kids, kids, in kids' churches, as Samson's teaching, you make sure Delilah don't do nothing to him, all right? Nope. Because she's going to try. You're going to try. So uh, you're looking good, bro. Thanks. I like it. So. I don't even go to the gym. You don't, even, you don't. You don't have to. You don't have to go to the gym. You look great. Thank you. I love, I love, we're going to call him Pastor Samson. <laughs> How's that? All right. Like he's it. becoming our kid's pastor, and I'm excited, man, because he's done an amazing job, amazing wife, Delilah. Yeah. I, what my fear is is the kids won't like her after today, but no. uh, they'll love her. She's Sapphire is amazing. So anyways, let's give Samson a great hand. I love the outfit, man. You got it. He can wear stuff I can't get away with. Um, because I ain't wearing no skirt like that in church. But All right. Well, kids, you can follow Samson out first through sixth grade. They're going to have a great time today. And I love what Louie's doing. And uh, Ms. Chandra's just kind of training him to be our kids' pastor. So I'm excited about that. Um, it's a great thing. So I'm glad you're here today again. Thank you for joining us online if you're there. And I uh, appreciate you tuning in, um, yeah, keep your family safe. I know some of you are you're, you're on the side of safety, and that's cool, man. We support that. And so uh, I want to talk to you today before we um, get into it. Actually, I want to read you a little story. It says, my, my grandson was visiting one day when he asked, Grandma, do you know how I know that you and God are alike? She says, I mentally polished my halo while I asked, No, honey, how are we alike? And he goes, You're both old. <laughs> From the mouths of kids, huh? From the mouths of kids. Well, hey, uh, I want to I want to just talk to you today for a little bit. I was like, well, I, I preached way short in first service. We were done like at ten thirty. It was kind of interesting. Uh, I'm not promising you the same thing, all right? But maybe if you're good participating uh, with through this teaching, uh, what I want to do today is talk to you about, on the topic: Where do you stand? Where do you stand? That's the title of the message. I would encourage you to take some notes. Um, as always, take pictures of the things that are on the screen if you need to do that. That's how I do it a lot of times. Um, but I believe that God's going to talk to us today about like where we are in our world. And, and as Christians, how do we navigate this? How do we get through it without freaking out? Because that is not what God wants us to do. He wants us to look at the situation we're facing through the eyes of hope. Because as Christians, we have hope. Yeah. I, don't, don't think this earth is it. 
Okay? What I have found is a lot of the people that are super, super scared, uh, they think this world is the final destination, and it's not. And that's why, more than ever, we need to proclaim the, the love of Jesus to people. Okay? So we're going to love our way through this. We're going to do the best we can to encourage those uh, to focus on the destination. If you've ever been to a wonderful place like Hawaii or a place that's warm, uh, so often we get focused on the trip of the, in the turbulence of the trip that we forget where we're going. Guys, paradise is a good place. Heaven is a good place, and heaven awaits us. Um, I don't know when we're going to get there. That's not up to me. Aren't you glad? Because I'll send some of you on ahead. They'll be like, you annoy me. You're going home. I'll deal with the rest of you all now. I would send myself ahead probably first, but all right. But what I want to do is I want to read you the first part of, of my message. It kind of lays a little foundation of what we're talking about today. We'll be in the book of Isaiah at first, a few verses, and then our main text will be Daniel chapter 3. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you grew up in church, you know the story about the three Hebrew boys. And uh, Daniel actually was a part of them as well. And King Nebuchadnezzar had went into Jerusalem, stole a bunch of people, and made them slaves. Um, and so they're in a land that's foreign to them. And, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about how they acted when they were told that they needed to do something that was against their belief. And how did they deal with it? So uh, that's the question. Where do you stand? So let me read to you the, the intro. With the condition of our world right now, uh, mostly in America, because it directly applies to us today, I want us to take a good look at where our faith in Jesus really is right now. In the past, it's been very easy to be a Christian in the U.S., because that's the foundation we have as a country. But it's been slowly changing from a God-fearing nation to a God-mocking nation in some instances. Uh, we've been very insulated here in America. Other countries, there are severe persecution for simply believing in Jesus Christ. Um, I heard on the radio a man from China that was, was asking for Bibles. He, was in, he lives in Red China, and he was asking the American church, you know, could, could you send us Bibles? And I thought, isn't that ironic? Here you have... A Christian who wants a Bible to read. And in America, the pastor has to beg the Christian to read it. Isn't that weird? Or one of the ten that you have in your house. And I thought, you know, sometimes it's the thing that you can't have is the thing that you desire the most. And I hope that it doesn't become that in America where, you know, Christianity can be illegal that will actually wake the church up. I hope we wake up before everything gets bad. That's my prayer because I like comfortable I don't want to go through persecution to have to get fired up for Jesus. I want to get fired up for Jesus now. Maybe we all get fired up for Jesus. Maybe God will have some mercy on us as a nation. And I think, again, as a Christian, we are to lead through what's going on. We're to be a light in our world, and that starts with being a light to the individual that you're with pretty much at the time. All right, it all starts with us, and it all starts with just love and people. Again, love isn't always mushy. Okay? Sometimes love has to be confrontational. I got a lot of love as a kid when I did wrong. A lot of love. It's called turn around and grab your ankles. <laughs> and I remember that one time my dad said, turn around and grab your ankles. And I grabbed my knees. He says, that's your knees, boy. Like, grab your ankles. And, and uh, got some pretty good spankings as a kid. So glad I did because it really was loving. What I thought was harsh at the moment, I now look back and my dad was just guiding me okay, to be better, to, to do what he asked me to do. So I... I am concerned where our country is headed, spiritually and morally. I'm concerned when I look at the last 30, 40 years as to where we have come, um, as far as you know, being a God-fearing nation to now it's almost a God-mocking nation. Is, is Right has become wrong, wrong has become right. And it's confusing uh, sometimes as a Christian to go, okay, what is going on in our country? 
Okay, why why is it that in God we trust is is like a, a slam these days? You know, why do people get offended by that? Well, in history, okay, um, actually, I missed something. I, I do this to Teresa almost every time. I get ahead of myself. Um, you need to determine now what answer you're going to give when your faith is challenged. You need to have that decided today. Okay, teenagers, okay, I'm telling you, when, when you get into the Samson and Delilah situations, you need to determine beforehand, okay, how far you're going to go or how far you're not going to go. You, you don't climb into the backseat of a car, start making out, and then pray for strength. Okay, that's, that's one, that emotion is already, you know, biology is already taken over by then. Pray for wisdom before you climb into that. So that's why you only date guys with Corvettes. Because um, there's only two seats, all right? So here's what history has shown, that democracy can turn to a dictatorship when people don't stand up to it. When people just allow it. And when we elect ungodly leaders to lead this country, we're in trouble. Because it becomes their agenda versus God's agenda. And this is my own struggle with myself. is my agenda versus God's agenda. I want my agenda to be God's agenda. Sometimes I can get off track with my own political views or my own opinions. Let me tell you something. My opinions really mean nothing. Give me an amen on that. It's just an opinion, right? They don't mean anything. Uh, so Isaiah 5.20 says this. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. What he's saying here is that if your nation ever begins to call criminal activity or evil a good thing, there's a woe that comes for that, and the woe is not good. And when you say what's good has become evil, that's a woe. And I see in our nation, we're kind of slowly going toward that way where evil is glorified and good is actually put down. And so we have to, as a Christian church, again, we got to pray against that. We got to stand against it, um, but not be a jerk about it. And that's hard for me to do sometimes. Isaiah 7, 9 says this, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Um, I stood firm when I was in junior high against a fight, and it cost me an ACL. There was a fight happening, and I jumped in to stop the fight, and it actually snapped my, my ACL, and I had to have surgery later on down the road. Um, and so I've had, actually had two surgeries to rebuild that knee over standing for injustice. Okay, There was a kid beating up another kid that didn't deserve to get beat up. If you're deserving it, I'm like, have at it. He, he did something to you, but this kid was beating another kid up. And I jumped in and grabbed the kid off, and in the process, broke my ACL. Um, and so I think as Christians, there's times that we do get involved, that we can't just stand by when injustice is happening. And, and you know, cause injustice goes both ways. Be straight up. Okay. I, there was a video recently of police officers arresting a guy who had an illegal gun and there was, there was the crowd throwing water and stuff at the police officers. That's injustice. I mean, so, so injustice goes both ways. Okay. We have to be understand. We have to understand that. That any time I do you know, something that's opposite of what God wants, it's really unjust. That's really what injustice means. Uh, so we've got to be careful not to take sides. We have to be careful to be balanced in what we believe and also stand up for what we believe in. And as long as you believe the word of God, that's what we need to stand up for. Amen. Like I said, my opinions really don't mean anything. I think sometimes God rolls his eyes at my opinions. <laughs> All right. And Jesus just shakes his head. He's like, I'm sure glad I died for you because that was really strange what you were saying. Um, maybe, maybe 
It will wake us up to pray for our country and our revival. Have you ever played in ocean waves? One of the things that I enjoy doing is, is watching when we go to Hawaii is watching people that are kind of new to the ocean go play in the ocean. Because you see the waves come in and you're like, oh, like their backs are to it. Is that, is that bad that, I'm, that I laugh? As long as they don't get like hurt, you know. But it's, it's, I've been, I think most of us have been in the ocean. You've been knocked over by waves. And there's just some perverse enjoyment of watching people just get slammed. Um, I don't know. You're all laughing, so you're all with me. I can understand. Um, if you're laughing, you're guilty of having the same perverse enjoyment of watching people. Uh, so maybe what the waves we're seeing in our country will wake us up to revival. Okay? There is a, an old adage that says, don't turn your back on the ocean. Okay, because waves are coming. I think as a country, waves are coming. It's relatively calm now compared to a lot of, a lot of parts in the other world. And, and I, but I think waves are coming. So as Christians, what are we going to do when that happens? Are we, are we ready to stand and are we going to stand strong? Say, so don't ignore what's coming to this world. Uh, I had a dream last Saturday night. I didn't share it last Sunday. And, and you need to understand my motive for what I say, because I say some things that raise eyebrows sometimes. But I want you to know that my motive is to warn and is to love, because I want everybody to go to heaven. I want us to go in the right direction. And sometimes as a spiritual leader, I have to say things that aren't easy to hear, but they're necessary. And so, that, again, I have to just say, okay, this is what God put on my heart. But I had this dream, and I'm not saying this is from God. It was just a vivid dream that I had. Um, and it was, I was standing at, the, at, the, at a dam, like on the top of the dam, and the water was rushing down into the spillway. Um, so it rushed down and it rushed up, and there was all these families that were getting into the water. Um, they had kayaks, they had rafts, they had floaties, and the kids had floaties on. And a lot of the families were riding this wave you know, before it went up and over the dam. And they were just kind of going back and forth. But there were some families that I was warning, like, guys, don't get in there. It's not a good idea. Idea, and the families would go in and it would suck them over the edge. And I could see the turbulence of just mixing these families up and there was death. Um, and it was, it was so vivid. It woke me up and I was like, Whoa, what was, what was that? You ever have those dreams that they just wake you up? And, um, and so I'm not, again, I'm not telling you it was a vision from God, but it sure seems like it has those connotations that there is a lot of Christian families that just are not paying attention to what's going on in our world. And we're just pretending like it's Disneyland or, or, what is the thing down the street? Roaring Springs. Springs. Thank you. Um, it's just a, it's a big water park, but people are dying. And so for me, it puts a passion in my heart to tell people about Christ. Okay. To really live what I believe and to stand firm um, with my life. So Daniel chapter three, we're going to get into the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you grew up in church. Um, you probably saw the Sunday school lessons on the three Hebrew boys. And so we're going to go through this. Um, and let me tell you the setting of what's happening into the story. Um, king Nebuchadnezzar, probably the, the meanest king in history, uh, very dictator. You didn't do what he said, you died. I mean, there was, you didn't cross him. He did what he wanted. You read through his whole life. And what's cool, at the end of his life, he actually came to, came to God. Um, I do believe that he's going to be in heaven because you saw repentance. Um, crazy story. For seven years... Okay, he became like a wild animal, the Bible says. It was after this story. A wild animal, he grew hair like, if you think your husband's hairy lady, you never saw this guy. He was, it said he looked like he had feathers on his body. That's how, and he ate grass and he did all these crazy things. Well, after seven years, he finally looked up to heaven and recognized that God is God and not him. 
Well, here's King Nebi when he's still evil. Um, so he goes into Jerusalem and he, he sacks Jerusalem. Jerusalem has always been known as the city of God. Nebuchadnezzar lived in Babylon. Babylon was like the epitome of evil. Okay? Babylon represents like an evil empire. Um, Babylon is not too far from Baghdad, right, Mac? It's like 60 miles, if that. Okay, so it's current day Baghdad. About that's where Babylon was, right there. So the plain of Dura, where we're going to see the idol was set up, uh, was not too far from current day Baghdad, Iraq. Uh, so here's, here's what happened. He, they went to Jerusalem. They stole all the nice looking guys. Um, Daniel was included. Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And most often, I'm not positive in this case, but I'm guessing so, because often they would castrate the men uh, so they couldn't mess around with the women. And uh, also make them a little more passive. Okay, we've got to be, watch out for, for moral castration in, a, in our country because they'll try to shout you down so that you don't stand up anymore. Um, these guys are going to prove that you can take someone out of their homeland, castrate them physically, change their names, put them in an ungodly environment, but you cannot take away their faith and their commitment to God. Although they were in Babylon, Babylon was not in them. And that's really important to understand. America might continue to go south. I pray it doesn't. I pray we have revival. But if it does, you can still stand strong as a Christian. That's what God wants us to do. So Jerusalem was still in their hearts. So you are not a product of your environment. You're a product of your choices. And we'll find that out today with these three guys. Environment does have an influence on you for sure. But don't be blaming your environment for how your life is turning out. Because there's a lot of blaming going on in the world today. And we need to just say, okay, pass the past. Let's move on. Let's figure out what the uh, solution is for the change that we need to see. So Daniel chapter 3. And you know what the change is? It's, we need Jesus. That's the answer. Okay? They're looking for an answer. It's Jesus. That's what it is. Because if everybody got saved and lived Jesus, we would all get along just fine. Here's the good news. Eternity is full of people who all love Jesus. At least where you and I are going if you've given your life to Christ. And it's a good place. So here's, here's what happens. King Nebuchadnezzar made this image of gold. doesn't say what the image looked like. I have a high suspicion that it looked like him. Yeah, it was 90 feet high. In comparison, the tallest part of this building here is 33 feet. Okay, so 90 feet high is three times this. Um, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he summoned all his leaders, the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other uh, provincial officials to come to the dedication of this image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you were commanded to do, O peoples, Nations and men of every language, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. That's a pretty good threat. That's a pretty good reason to bow down. But let me tell you something. That is not true conversion. Forced conversion from death is not true conversion. It's heavy persuasion, but it's not true conversion. Aren't you glad we don't do that as Christians? <laughs> like we get you in here and we lock the doors. <laughs> like if you're not saved, get, come, come forward and, you know. Yeah, I, and I, I think some people that, that get saved, we should just send them right to heaven because they can't stay saved very long because the world has to pull on them. That's an old joke. Um, <laughs> get you saved, take you into the back room. And 
<laughs> just making sure y'all are listening. <laughs> so you have to vow down, or else, okay? Or else. Or else. That's religion, that's not relationship. Okay, or else. For Hebrews, okay, and I call it the setup. Daniel chapter 3, 1 through 6 is the setup. For Hebrews flourished in this new place. They were godly young men who would not bow down to the immoral way of life of the other leaders. And they must have been vocal about it because the other leaders are the ones who said, we can't find any way to get these guys, but let's make a law that violates where they stand. That's how we can get them. Because anytime you begin to speak about somebody else's immoral way of life, it will get attention. And that, I think, is what's happening in America today is Christianity is getting shouted down because we speak against what is immoral. We speak against what is against the word of God. But immoral people don't like you speaking against immorality. And I believe America is where we are morally, or I should say immorally, because we became so passive to sin. We begin to change laws to adapt to what people want to do instead of biblical laws. If you're new to Idaho, you may not know this, but in Idaho less than 15 years ago, uh, on, and the, the rule books, and I don't know if they're still there or not, if they deleted them, but about 15 years ago, I was reading through Idaho code. It was illegal to fornicate. What's fornicate? Fornicate is sex outside of marriage. Illegal in Idaho. Adultery was illegal. Homosexuality is illegal. Any, any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman in the state of Idaho was illegal. I don't know if it is anymore. If somebody knows, let me know. I, I kind of don't think it is. It's like, well, let's just wipe that one off the books, right? We begin to change the laws to adapt to what people want to do. Um, So we were a a very conservative state 15 years ago. Illegal to do those things. Matter of fact, in Emmett, um, when we first moved here, first five years, there was actually a family that prosecuted a boyfriend who got the daughter pregnant because it was fornication and they had a case. I mean, it was, he, how do you deny a kid? Immaculate conception? Not mine. Uh, it sure looks like you, but the parents went after the guy and they had a case because it was against the law in the state of Idaho to fornicate. Isn't that great? I mean, that's awesome. It kind of sounds like the Bible, but who would want to listen to that? Um, all right. So here's what this brings me to say. When you lose the family, you lose the country. And, and when you begin to say God's word isn't valid, you will lose the family. What we've done is we've taken discipline, okay? We've had some bad parenting in the past where there was abuse that happened, but what they did is they went, well, there's, there's some abuse, so now you can't even do anything to the kid. Well, now a teacher in school can't even really have any control of the kid because it's, it's the teacher's fault if the kid's going nuts and they discipline them. Do you see how that can mess up a society where laws aren't followed anymore and discipline isn't administered? Okay, we get away from God's word. Life never gets better. And so we need to get back to God's word and, and not do the things it says not to do or else, okay? But when you lose the family, you lose the country. So people are, are very hostile at times toward Christians because they know where we stand on certain issues. I thought about this with atheists. If there is no God, why in the world do they care what we think? I mean, think about it. If you are truly an atheist, why are they vocal about Christianity? Like, you might be an alien believer. I'm not after you. I don't care. It's not real. To you, aliens might be real, but they're not, so I'm not even going to make a sign. I'm not going to stand in protest over alien believers. That's your deal. But isn't it odd to you that a, a person who says God's not real can come after a Christian? 
You would think they would just leave us alone and say, they're crazy, but why, why hold up a sign? But that's not how it is. Deep in the heart of every person, there is a DNA in their fabric that morality is woven into. Everybody knows there's a God. I mean, there's people that try to convince themselves that there's not, but everybody knows. And if they don't, they will the moment they die. My heart is, is that you would know God and know Jesus before you died, if you don't. So there was a recent Facebook post that my wife uh, forwarded from a friend of ours, and it was a man holding a sign at a protest, and it says, if Jesus comes back, kill him again. And it had a picture of a cross being thrown into a trash can. And I have compassion on that person because he's ignorant and doesn't, doesn't know what's coming. But that seems to be the, the thing of our world. So, again, if you don't believe in God, why are you so anti-Christian? It just doesn't make logical sense to me. So the plan here, I tell you all this for a reason because it plays into our story, is these men were coming after the Hebrew boys, the Hebrew, Hebrew young men who believed in God. And they didn't like the stand that they were having. So they had this plan, and the plan was to shut the Hebrews up. Now, these leaders, okay, when it talks about the prefects, the judges, the masters, they were the political system of the day. So when the political system of the day begins to tell you that you can't believe the way that you believe, that's where your red flags need to go up. Okay? And, and we're seeing that someone in America. Well, how do we deal with that? Because it's a real thing. I wrote down here this morning that, that politics determines policy. So be careful who you vote for. Okay? Be careful who you vote for. The plan was to shut the Hebrews up, okay? To force them to go against their belief system because they couldn't nail them for breaking any laws, so they invented a law. <laughs> I'm going to take a step here and say it kind of sounds like California with no singing in church. Okay? I thought that was a rumor. Somebody said it to me last Sunday after church. I was like, they, what? They said you can't sing in church? I was like, that's got to be a fake Facebook post. There ain't no way. And then another person who just moved from there said, yeah, it's a thing. And I'm like, ah, that, that sounds crazy. Because you can go to a protest and riot and go nuts, but you can't sing in church? No. So we got a hold of our pastor friends in Vacaville, California. They said, yep, it's a thing. I was like, the governor said you can't sing in church? And that's correct. That's the law. You can't sing in church. <laughs> should we just move on? Uh, or should we have Pastor John come up and we'll sing for them? All right, we'll just do that. Okay. So, so to me, why can you go to a protest and be close together and shout and yell, but you can't go into a church and sing? I mean, to, in my logical brain, because I'm, I'm very black and white, I'm like, that just doesn't make sense to me. It sounds like hypocrisy. And, and the church is being blamed for being hypocrites, but doesn't that sound hypocritical on the other end? And that, that's where I'm going, how, how, do, how do we deal with this as a Christian? How do I, do I just not say anything or do I go, wow, oh, where's the line? Where do I begin to stand up and go, you know what, I'll follow a lot of laws, but I'm not sure you can't tell me I can't sing for Jesus. I mean, there's a law. That's what these guys were dealing with. And so this story from the Old Testament plays into exactly what we're facing today. Um, so here's where the problem is. There's two beliefs, okay? There's, there's belief is obey the laws of the land. The Bible says that, obey the laws of the land. The other belief is I only answer to God's law. I've had people tell me both, okay? I don't have to listen to people. I'm just listening to God. Usually they're rebellious and prideful that tell me that. Like, you don't like authority if you're like, oh, I just listen to God's law, okay? Well, God's law says obey the laws of the land. Okay, so shut up, dude. All right. I, I'm thinking of a particular person at the other building when we, over there, that's what his whole thing was, I'm just going to live in God's law. Well, there's problems with both if you're extreme with them, and let's talk about it for a moment. The first one is obey the laws of the land. If we take it as just cut and dry to obey the laws of the land, then all the Christians in China, God's looking at going, you can't believe in me because it's against the law. 
How dare you believe in my son? You can't be a Christian because you're breaking the laws of the land. Do you see what I'm saying here? If the laws of the land contradict God's word, that's when you can break them. If it contradicts God's word. So if God's word says make a joyful shout unto the Lord, but you can't sing in church, you see the contradiction here? Like, what do you do? I'm all about safety. I'm all about not giving people COVID. I'm not, you know, I'm not about wanting to contribute to somebody's death. At the same time, where's the line? At what point do you follow the government to a T where you can't even sing anymore? So here's what we're facing as an American church. Okay, is, is, okay how, do we, how do we go through this? Um, so the dilemma we're facing now, where does the path lead? And I've been asking myself that question a lot on a lot of things that are going on in our world is where does this end up? Because it sounds like a good idea now, but where does it end up? Okay, there's a lot of laws. There's seatbelt laws. Okay, you have to wear a seatbelt because as a, a grown adult, you can't, you're not responsible to take care of yourself. But the government can make the decision for you. Now, the seatbelt's good? Absolutely. Seatbelts save lives, no question. Okay, where I grew up on the Klamath River, you did not wear your seatbelt because all the roads were next to the river. You wore a seatbelt and you went in, you're in trouble. Okay, so yes, we broke the law. We're like, of course, when I was a kid, there was no seatbelts. There was no airbags. There was metal dashes. Bam. Taught you to be tough, right? I like airbags. Trust me. But it was just a different thing. Were, were we, can you imagine loading your kids up for a trip to Idaho City in the back of an old 1975 Chevy pickup with the coach to go play baseball? The whole team. Never even thought a thing about it. Like, ah, coaches, everybody gets in the back of the truck, and we rode, drove an hour, okay, to, to Willow Creek from the town I lived in, in the back of the coach's truck. Those were the days, right? Now you have to have a helmet and pads and everything just to drive. Uh, so, good idea, good idea, okay? Motorcyclists, you have to wear a helmet, because as an adult, we need to tell you what's best, Helmets are good ideas, but, but when these laws begin to, you know, it, it sounds like it's common sense, but I, what I see is it begins to, where does it stop? Where's the path lead? Okay. Should you wear a helmet? Absolutely. You should. I, I, I grew up on motorcycles. I, I believe in helmets. Maybe a couple times I didn't. That explains a few things. Um, but, I, but I believe, but, but at what point does the government get to tell you whether you can or can't sing? And this is what I struggle with as a pastor to go, okay, how do I lead through this? How do I encourage my congregation to say, yeah, we need to follow the laws as best we can. But once they start getting into your Christianity, where do you say, okay, hold on, where, where do we stop? Because we could say, well, obey the laws of the land. But if it's going against your beliefs, where's the line? So it's tough to pastor in these, these days because you're going, ah, you know, that's where these guys were. They were following the laws, and all of a sudden, there was a law that was absolutely against their belief, and they had to make a stand, okay? So, what do we, what do, we do with this, okay? I don't believe in our world that death is something that they're really trying to prevent. Why do I say that? Okay, well, they are. We don't want COVID to kill a bunch of people. Absolutely agree. Don't want them to kill. Okay, that's why my wife and my and son and Travis... And Travis is my son. Um, that's where we're avoiding people because we're supposed to spend some time with my brother in a couple of weeks who's going through chemo right now. He's got this brain tumor. So we're protecting him by protecting ourselves. So don't feel put off if I don't get close to you or my wife or Travis. If we stay, there's a reason is, is we don't want to get infected because we're going to spend some time. So we're protecting ourselves. So 
Don't think, Stan didn't hug me today. What's wrong? Um, what did I do? You know, spend the whole afternoon wondering what you did. Um, you ever done that? You're like, what did I do? Nothing. So that's what we're doing. We're protecting ourselves. But here's, here's the truth. If, if our government was that concerned with humans dying, they would shut down abortion clinics. They would make drunk driving way stricter of a penalty if you did it. So you understand? So my dilemma is as a leader to go, okay, how do you navigate this? Okay, prevent COVID because we're preventing deaths. Well, then why are you okay with abortion clinics being open? If you think like me, that doesn't make sense at all. So, so is death really the reason that they're doing this well, on one side? But you understand the dilemma? So try pastoring through this. It's like really hard to know what to say, what not to say. Um, but anyhow, that's just my, that's my opinion. That's my opinion. Number two is, is I only answer to God. Well, that's pride. Okay, God put leaders in place for a reason. My question I wrote here is, where's the balance? Understanding both is the balance. And that's where the three Hebrew boys were. There was this balance that they're going, okay, I'm in Babylon, but Babylon's not in me. And now we're being forced to follow a law of the land that contradicts what I believe. What do I do with that? Leads us to the rest of the story, verse 12 through 30. And if I had my glasses, I could find it a whole lot faster. It's kind of weird. My font gets smaller every week, Stephen. I don't know what's up with my Bible, but it's shrinking. All right. It says this. Okay. So there, okay, you got to throw into the, you, you can get thrown into the blazing furnace if you don't obey. Verse 12. Okay. Now you got the, the bad guys who don't like where these boys stand for. He says, but there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They're not following the rules. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. They have some animosity toward these guys. Furious with rage doesn't take much to settle Nebi off. <laughs> they don't listen to you. What? <laughs> you ever seen somebody just, they live at 211 degrees? It's like in that one degree just sends them to boil. That's where Nebuchadnezzar's at. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve the gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Is it true? In Aramaic, the word, is it true? Is, is this on purpose? The Aramaic, is, is, is this on purpose? Are you doing this to defy me, the king, big bad navy, that I'll kill you if you don't do what I say? Are you doing this on purpose? Now, give them a second chance. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to save you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king respectfully, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, again, respect, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. 
The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. See, Nebuchadnezzar was willing to sacrifice innocent people to get his way. Isn't that crazy? Like some of his best men, he was willing to sacrifice them because he was so mad. We've got to be careful not to do that. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement as Pastor John sings, There was another in the fire standing there. I should have had, that would have been great to have him sing that, right? Better, better him than me. All right. And, and that's where the song comes from, if you didn't know that. He jumps up and he looks. He says, Wasn't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, Certainly, O king. And he said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the God. See, the only thing that was burned was the thing that bound them. And that's what God's heart is today, is that, that in the fire, in whatever it is that you're facing, right? and some of you are facing some, some hard stuff. In that fire, the thing that God wants to burn, the only thing he wants to burn is the things that bind you. What is it that you have allowed to bind you? Because we're going to find, as we read this story, that they didn't even smell like smoke. There's no hair singed. There's nothing else on them. Isn't it interesting that God has complete control over fire? That he can burn the bondage, but not the person. That's how powerful God is in your life. So whatever you're facing right now, you understand that. You can just say, God, please just bind whatever, unbind whatever it is that's got me bound up. Because God's God. He can do that kind of cool stuff, all right? Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace. I wonder if he walked past the guys that were smoldering. <laughs> He's like, doggone, I just wasted like five good guys. You ever done that? You ever wasted something? You're like, why did I do that? It's smoldering. And you're like, ah, bad decision. And he goes, because he's king, <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the royal advisors crowded around them. And people will crowd around you when you make it through the fire, church. Because some of y'all are going through it. You're going to make it through. That will get people's attention. That will get people's attention more than what you shout. They'll see what you're facing. And they'll see what you're going through. And they're like, wow, they, they're going through this different than me. What is it that's different about you? So whatever it is that you're facing, you just keep going. Okay? You keep going because there's hope. God is with you even when you can't see him. They crowded around him. And they're trying to figure out, okay, what just happened here? Burned up these guys. Didn't burn up you guys. What's different about you? And, and so here's what they saw, because it's visual, and people watch you. They watch you when you are in your fire. They watch how you react. They watch your faith. They watch you complain, but pray at the same time. They watch you say, I don't want to go through this, but I'm going to get through this. That's the biggest testimony that you can have, is to get through the fire. And they gathered around, they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. It means like somebody's sniffing, like, is that weird? I mean, that they put that in there, and some guy going, you even smell like smoke. Because you can always smell somebody, who, you know, if they've been burning things, so you, can, you can smell it. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel? Okay, stop here. The king is praising the three guys and praising the God of the three guys because of how they went through the fire. People will praise God because of you. People will praise God because of your attitude, because of how you choose to go through some things. And here's what he said He has sent his angel and rescued his servants. 
They trusted in him and defied the king's command. And they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. And their houses turned into piles of rubble. (laughs) King Nebuchadnezzar is such a graceful man. Um, For no other god can save this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now, who who ordered them to be burned? He did. Minutes later, he's promoting. You don't know what your attitude is going to get you in the future. It could get you a promotion. The stand, it could also get you fired. (laughs) Standing up for what you believe in. But let me tell you something. I don't believe that, that God is going to allow you to get fired for what you believe in standing up for him and not give you a better job down the road. I just believe that's how God works, okay? Because he honors those who stand up for him. Well, let's keep rolling with this. Let me give you some thoughts on what we just read. They were given a second chance to bow down to an ungodly king's demands. A second chance to throw their convictions out the window. But then they wouldn't be convictions, would they? See, beliefs and convictions are different. Beliefs are easy. Belief is mental. Belief is just, I just believe it. But a conviction you are willing to die for. And we haven't got to that point in America yet. Okay, right now it's easy to believe in God. Well, we believe in God. There might be a point where your convictions, your beliefs going to have to turn into conviction. To say, okay, here's where my line's at. I'm going to do the best I can to obey the laws the best I can. But if they start going against what I believe personally... And they start going against the word of God. It's that point we have to make a decision to say, okay, what am I going to do with this? If they tell me you can't preach anymore. I mean, if the government says you cannot preach certain things, then I'm going to have to make a decision. But let me tell you something. My decision, guys, is already made. You already know that. If you've been here very long, you already know I'm going to say what I want to say. Uh, What I want to say gets me in trouble an awful lot. All right? But what I want to say in my prayer every morning, every time I speak, is God, let my words be your words. Because my words just get me in trouble. My words are just opinions. Most of the time, my words are just stupid opinions. I want to preach God's word. I want it to be God's word that goes forward, not, not my opinion on stuff. Because again, my opinion can get me in trouble. But I understand that as a pastor, that they could come for me next. I don't think it's going to happen in the next five months. I read something that I wrote five years ago. It was a Facebook post, and it talked about some things that were happening. And I was like, whoa, I wrote that five years ago about hate speech, about pretty soon they're going to censor me as to what I can and can't say from the pulpit because it, it could be offensive to people. You probably don't have to worry about it, but me as a public speaker, I'm, I think about that stuff. But I have to determine now, as the three Hebrew guys did, they determined what their answer was before the question was asked. They knew where they stood, and they, they were like, hey, if, if you have to kill me, then kill me. I'm not going back. I'm not going to denounce the God I believe in. I'm just going to stand strong. If that costs me my life, it costs me my life. They're like, God can save us, but even if he does, I'm not going to do what you say. O king. O king. Still respectful, okay? Because you don't have to be a jerk to be a Christian. You can still be respectful and you can still disagree. And, and, and what did God do? He worked through this whole situation. Really, really interesting. Um, I can't wait to get to heaven and talk to these guys. Be like, man, what was it like? You know, I'm glad it was you, not me. I'm glad I lived in America. We had air conditioning, man. You know what air conditioning is? They're like, what's air conditioning? You know that fire you were in? It's opposite. It's like 60 degrees, man. Air conditioning. We got cars. We don't have to ride in chariots. I mean, it's, America's lovely. We live in, think about the time of history we live in, all the blessings that we have. Air conditioning, pizza. I mean, you could stop by average and get you a good pizza for five bucks. Well, maybe eight bucks. Um, you can get an average pizza for five bucks. Uh, 
We live in a wonderful time in history. We really have nothing to complain about. Do you have beliefs or do you have convictions? Where are you at today? Beliefs are easy. Convictions you will die for. There was an uncompromising determination of the three. They were respectful to the king, but firmly stood with their decision. So regardless of the consequences, king, we're not bowing down. And some of you in life right now, you, ha- you are here. Did you, you might be tempted. You're like, what do I do with this? Well, you have to know what God's word says about it. And you've got to be willing to stand strong with what you believe. You see, you can't bow a knee to Jesus and a knee to the immoral world system at the same time. You can't. You can't serve two gods. The Bible, Jesus said that you can't serve two masters. You can serve money or mammon or things of the world, or you're going to serve me. See, if you don't have anything worth dying for, you really don't have anything worth living for. That statement's been around for years, but it still applies. I want to close with a challenge out of uh, the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, they had just got into the promised land after wandering for 40 years in the, in the desert. They finally get to the promised land, and Joshua is their leader here. And he's saying, guys, you've got to understand something. You're going to go into a land, and there's going to be people there that have ways different than God's ways. So you can be in the land, but not of the land. You're not supposed to marry into them. You're not supposed to take any part of what they're doing. You've got to keep your convictions your convictions. So again, you can be in the world, but not of the world. You can live in Babylon, but not have Babylon live in you. Do I have to hold that one for a minute? Okay. Babylon shouldn't live in you. Here's what Joshua said. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. So Joshua 24, 14. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the rivers or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Okay, Joshua was like, you guys do what you want, but I'm serving Jesus. I mean, he was talking about God, the Lord, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and and that, that's where he stood. He made the stand before he had to. Okay, we're to love the people in this world, but we're not to love the ways of the sinful behavior. And that's the balance of a Christian is, okay, because I get told, well, you're just not preaching love. No, my, my dad whooping my tail was about the lovingest thing he could do, okay, because it was changing my behavior. It was telling me, hey, if you, if you keep doing this, you're going to end up in a place south of Cuna, or east of Cuna, I guess. Um, south of Cuna would be the lake. That would be all right. Um, we'd be fishing. Right? But my dad saw something in me, he saw rebelliousness, he saw stubbornness, he saw, he saw something that he's like, we better get on this one early. <laughs> My older brother was perfect, of course, the older brother's always perfect. Um, no, older brothers just know how to not get caught. The second, the second kids just do it out in the open, you're like, what? Um, and, and, and my dad saw something in me, he saw potential, but he also saw stubbornness. And the loving thing that he did, seasoned with encouragement. You, most of you know my parents. My parents are amazing people. But my dad loved me enough to tell me no. He loved me enough to say, this behavior is going to get you in trouble down the road. It's going to get you a spanking today, but it's going to get you into prison tomorrow. And I don't understand that as a kid. But now I look back and went, my dad was just loving me in a way that hurt. So love isn't just this mush, let your kids do what they want. Sometimes love has to say no. Sometimes love has to say stop. So as a church, we show the love to people by saying, okay, we can't just be okay with everything goes. We have to say, okay, you guys, you can do what you want, but I'm going to serve Jesus. But don't be forcing your way of life on me. Don't be trying to put Babylon in me. 
I'm not going to accept it. I'm not going to accept it. So where are you at today? I want to close just with a little bit of what uh, Pastor Paul, he's a pastor, Pastor Paul, the Apostle Paul. He challenged us and he says what he said. In essence, he said, we don't, we don't live like the world who has no hope. We won't live like that. We have hope. We have hope in Christ. And Jesus said, when, when you see these things happening in the world, the things that we've been talking about, diseases and earthquakes and all that, he said, your redemption draws near, so lift up your heads. Jesus didn't go, go hide in the hole. <laughs> Wait till I come back. No, he's like, you, you lift up your head. You look. Keep your head up. Keep your chin up. Pastor John sings that great song. Keep your head up. Lift your head up. And as Christians, we're not supposed to be hanging our heads right now. We're supposed to be looking up going, Jesus, you coming back today? Because I'm ready. Now I'm going to take somebody with me. Matter of fact, I hope I'm in a crowd of atheists and unbelievers when I go because I'm going to grab a couple of them by the hair as I'm on the way up and go, you guys believe now? Because if not, I'm dropping you. That's pretty good at persuasive evangelism, right? <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but you know, we might be in church. But here's what I need to know. Where are you at with Jesus today? That's the question. I'm going to, every sermon I preach is going to ask that question of Rihanna. Where are you at with Jesus? Are you right with God today? Would you bow your heads with me? Because now is the time for the question and the response. That if you're here today and, and you've never given your life to Jesus, I need you to know something. God loves you so much. Enough that he sent his son to die for you on the cross. To forgive you of your sins if you'll simply ask him to do that. That is the only way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the only way to heaven. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have to give our lives to Jesus to make it to heaven. And that's a good thing because I can't be good enough on my own. <laughs> I'm glad he paid for my sins. That all I have to do is ask him to forgive me to come into my life. And that's my ticket to heaven. So if you've never made that decision and you would like to, I'm going to ask you to be bold and brave and just between me and you and the Lord. If that's you, we just lift your hand up. First service, we had a person give their heart to Christ. Is there anybody in second that will do that, that needs to? Amen. I'm just not going to assume that everybody is right with God. Okay, I don't see any hands. I hope that means that we are. Amen. If you're online, it's a simple prayer. It's, it's Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins and come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. That's all you have to do to become a Christian. It's that easy. Amen. And I'll have to share it with you. I'm not going to have Pastor John sing the song, but Eddie Money sang a song, I Got Two Tickets to Paradise. I have to admit, I like the song, amen? But for me, I got my ticket to paradise through what Jesus did on the cross, amen? And I'm so thankful for that. So anyways, thank you so much for coming. See, I'm